We're going to open our Bibles now. Uh, our text for this morning is from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 12. Not what it says on the service handout. I made a mistake. I got a week ahead of myself there. So that is the correct reading. Uh, and I'm going to invite Anne-Marie up and she's going to read uh, from 1 Peter for us. Peter 2, verses 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are beginning built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, and chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires, which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that, though they accuse you of doubting doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So far the reading. Thank you, Anne-Marie. Uh, please keep your Bibles handy. We're going to work our way through those verses this morning in some detail uh, and it will be very much to your benefit if you can follow along as we do that. Now, as most of you would be aware, uh, I love fishing. Um, I really love fishing, in fact. Uh, and loving fishing makes me do strange things for fishing. Uh, I have gotten up at 3 o'clock in the morning uh, a number of times in order to get to the right place at the right time for fishing. Uh, I've driven four hours each way in a single day uh, to get to my favourite spot. I then caught nothing at that spot, but anyway, it was still my favourite spot. Uh, I've spent uh, most of a day standing in the middle of winter, waist deep in a lake. Uh, the water was six degrees, the air was two, and it poured with rain all day long. Uh, and I still, when I got home, said I enjoyed it. If you don't love fishing, you'll probably think that all of those things are absolutely bonkers. Uh, and you're probably right. Some people, on the other hand, love horse riding. They will spend money on horses and all the gear that goes with it and feed and etc. They will spend time grooming their horse and cleaning up after them. 
Uh, they'll spend hours riding their horses, even though they're big and scary and unpredictable. Uh, they'll ride them all the time, even though they're only one horsepower. If, uh, like me, you don't like horse riding, I don't know if you got that, uh, you'll think all of that stuff is totally nuts. The point is, what people do for love and for the things that they love can be utterly confusing to others who don't love the same things. What people do for love can be utterly confusing to others who don't love the same things. Now we love Jesus. Uh, That's what our church is about. That's why we're here. We love him because he first loved us. We love him because he came to earth for us and sacrificed himself in our place. Uh, We love him. And as Peter tells us today, the world will think that is totally nuts. They will not get it. But as we see also in this passage, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the world thinks, that is totally unimportant. In fact, what Peter shows us in this passage is that has no bearing on who we are. But neither does it have a bearing on how we act in this world and how we reach out to this world. Even though the world is totally confused by us and by what we love, that doesn't change who we are, neither does it change what we are called to do. And those are the things we're going to be seeing this morning as we pull apart these verses together. Uh, Peter starts off this section by telling us that God has done and is doing something that is truly amazing uh, to those and amongst those who trust and love Jesus. Look again at verses 4 to 5 with me. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. As we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus is the living hope. Uh, That's how Peter presented him. He is the Saviour who died, who was raised, uh, and thereby, because he lives today, guarantees our eternal life. But now Peter presents him as a living stone. So why the change? Why why is Peter mixing up his, his terminology here? Well, what he's doing is he is building a picture before us. It's, it's lots of bits and pieces to this picture and here he's adding in a whole bunch of Old Testament ideas. Uh, you'll see all the quotes uh, in this chapter and all the allusions uh, to the Old Testament. Jesus is, as Peter says, the living stone. He is the original living stone, the very first. He was hated by men and he was precious to God. And now we, those who trust him, are being made like him. We are also being made like living stones and what's more, we are being built on him into this spiritual house. Uh, It's a strange picture. We're, We're living stones being built one by one together into this living and spiritual house. Uh, Some of you will remember the the Pink Floyd classic, Another Brick in the Wall. Uh, If you don't know it, go home and listen to it. It's a great song, even if the film clip is a little freaky. And it has the chorus in it, uh, all in all, you're just another brick in the wall. Now, it was a very depressing song, uh, Pink Floyd lamenting that we're all just part of the machine, we're insignificant, we're individuality, it means nothing. But Peter is building a very different picture here. We're not just another brick in the wall, we are a living stone. And what's more, we're living stones in a house, a spiritual house, that God is building. 
that God is building on Jesus, the original living stone, the cornerstone. Now God's not building a literal house here, this is a spiritual house. It's not made of bricks and mortars, it's not in a set location. It is made of God's people, wherever and whenever they are. And this house is a holy priesthood. It is a group of people set apart for service to God to offer sacrifices, again not literal sacrifices, but spiritual sacrifices in order to honour God, in order to praise him and bring glory to him. And we, that is our church, are a local expression of this spiritual house that God is building of all Christians in all times and all places. We are part of this, this place where God is served, where he is honoured, where he is found. This spiritual house, this temple. And it's that description that matters. We are, the type of building we are is a temple, is a house. It matters because you might have noticed when you go into different buildings there are different ways to act that are appropriate. Uh, If you go into a stadium you, you immediately feel like you can be loud, you can be active there because that's just what you do when you're in a stadium. That, that's, that's natural. If you go into a funeral home, you won't do those things. Uh, even if no one's there, you'll talk very quietly, you'll talk very solemnly because that's what you do in a funeral home. You, don't, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't yell, you wouldn't run around because it's not the type of place. And that's why it's important that the type of place God is building us into is a spiritual house is a temple. We're not a museum where all we do is preserve or all we do is look back and and remember but neither are we a bunker or or a castle where all we do is is hunker down and, and wait things out and be forever on the defensive. We're neither of those things. We are a temple. We are a spiritual house. We're a meeting place. We're a worship place. We're a place where people can come and meet with God and learn about God and see God. We're a place where he is at the centre of all we do, where he is actively honoured and praised and served in everything. That is what we are about as a church. That is what God is building us into. And Peter says that's going to work for some, but it's not going to work for everyone. Look at verses 6 through 8. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone and a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Peter says, everyone who comes to Jesus, who trusts in him, uh, who takes part in him, will never be shamed. Um, verse 7 says, to you who believe this stone is precious. Actually, it's, it's, uh, what it's saying is, to you who believe there will be honour. Uh, it's a contrast between, between shame and honour. It says, the world is going to scorn you. The world is going to be confused by you, but you will never be shamed. Because instead there will be only honour. And honour from the one who truly matters, from God himself. But for those who don't believe... All they will find in Jesus, in their rejection of him, is a stumbling block. And a stumbling block that drives them further away. Jesus is the cornerstone 
Uh, he is the foundation of this spiritual house and therefore the, the house that's built on him will look like him. He is precious to God and so too we are precious to God. He is honoured by God and so to us. He was rejected by men and likewise we will also, because of him, be rejected by men. Not because of us, but because we are built on and all about him. Peter is saying Jesus is the crux. Jesus is, is the centre. He is the, the point where it all matters. People either come to him or stumble over him. Here's how one writer put it. He said, Christ is laid across the path of humanity on its course into the future. In the encounter with him, each person is changed, one for salvation, another for destruction. One cannot simply step over Jesus to go on about the daily routine and pass him by to build a future. Whoever encounters him is inescapably changed by the encounter. Either one sees and becomes a living stone or one stumbles as a blind person over Christ and comes to ruin, falling short. When people encounter Jesus in us, there are only one of two things that can happen. Either they will turn to him in trust and be built on him or they will turn from him in frustration, having stumbled over him. Now it might take us a while to see which is which but those are the only two options. There is no other way. We ought not be surprised when some see him and reject him. Uh, as Peter tells us, that's, that's part of what is destined. That's all part of God's plan. Uh, it's still their choice, it's still their responsibility but it's not defiance against God, somehow breaking what he's intended. It's still gathered within what he's looking at for the world. Just as Jesus was rejected on earth, so he will continue to be rejected today. But that rejection, that opposition, ought not change how we live. Because who we are stays the same. In spite of rejection or confusion or the stumbling of humanity, even though it happens all around us, we are still God's spiritual house. We are built on Jesus, serving him and acting as the meeting point between him and the world. People will look at us like we're crazy. Uh, when we live for Jesus, when we build our life on him, the cost that it entails, it does look nuts. And yet that is who we are in him. We do it in order to hold him out. Uh, we don't want people to stumble on anything else besides him. So we strip away anything else that could cause offence. Instead we hold Jesus out as his people, as living stones built on him. By his grace, some will come and be saved. Many others will come and stumble. But all the same, we hold him out. Now, as Peter continues, the picture he's painting here changes just a bit. Uh, he's, he's told us of this amazing work that God is doing amongst us, that God is still doing amongst us. And now he tells us that this work has always been part of God's plan. Look at verses 9 through 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
at first glance, there's a lot going on there. It's, it's a strange collection of descriptions. Why is Peter using these words? They, they, they seem quite formal. What, what's his purpose? Well, he has very good reason. Uh, he is building a picture here based on the Old Testament. Um, if in the last couple of verses Peter has been quoting the Old Testament again and again, here he alludes to it uh, time and time again. Let's just, let's just pick out some of those allusions. Uh, first of all, from Exodus 19, verse 5 to 6. Uh, in Exodus 19 we have God uh, and Israel meeting at Mount Sinai and we have the birth of Israel as a nation uh, called by God. He's just saved them out of Egypt now. He's forming them as his people. And this is what he declares to them. He says, Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You can see where Peter gets his words here. Uh, Fast forward to Isaiah 43. Uh, Again, God is speaking to his people and he's saying, uh, This is what I intended for you. This is the role you were to fulfil. He says, You are my people, my chosen the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Uh, Again, you see where Peter's getting it. Uh, Fast forward a bit further to Hosea chapter 1 and chapter 2. Hosea is God's prophet and God comes to him and says, uh, as a a lesson to the nation of Israel, I want you to give your kids these names. Call one not loved and one not my people. I don't know what his kids thought about that, but I don't imagine they were terribly impressed. But it wasn't about them and it wasn't about Hosea and his kids' relationship. It was a picture of the God-Israel relationship. God was saying, you've gone so far away that this is all you are to me. But then he goes on to say, there's a better future coming. Here's what it says in Hosea chapter 2. I will show my love to the one I called, not loved. I will say to those called, not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. And Peter alludes to that in in, uh, verse 10 here. See, by gathering all of this together very deliberately, Peter is telling the church, he's telling us, you, you are what God's Old Testament people were meant to be. Israel was chosen by God. They were were chosen to be special, to be his priests in the world. They were to uh, know God, to declare God to the world. They were loved by him. They were shown mercy. They were called to be his, but they failed. Ezekiel 36 tells us they failed really badly. Here's what God says about them. Wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. Israel failed miserably at the task given. Uh, God had sent them to the world to to praise him to the world, to tell of how good he is and they did the utter opposite. Instead of him being praised everywhere they went, everywhere they went he was profaned and his name was scorned. And so what Peter is saying now is God has taken those promises, taken those purposes and transferred them forwards and put them now on his new people on his church, on the believers he has called in Jesus. And in doing that he's saying, you are God's true people now. His true people called to truly fulfil his purpose in the world. You are it. Uh, It's a bit like when a footy team changes coaches. Uh, When a a team calls a coach, when they employ a coach, uh, they do it for a purpose, don't they? I mean, they say, make our team better, win us some games, uh, get us to the finals and ultimately win us a premiership. It's obviously a big task and so they say, you know, you've got time to do this. Uh, If there's stumbles along the way, you'll be forgiven that when it happens. But if that failure persists, what happens? 
Well, a coach gets fired and they employ a new coach. Old coach is gone, new coach comes in, new person, but same purposes, isn't it? Maybe a slightly different way of trying to achieve it. But see, the problem there is all 40 coaches are people. They might approach the problems differently, but in the end they have the same issues. What is great about the picture Peter is painting here is with the churches something different has happened. Something new has happened. Yes, we are called to the same purpose, but we are made different in that. Because Jesus has covered our failings. Jesus has covered our rebellion. He's forgiven us, as we saw in chapter 1. He's redeemed us out of that futility and out of that frustration. And what's more, he's changed our hearts. And even greater, he's put his spirit to live within us. Where Israel was destined to forever fall short, God has equipped us with everything we need to fulfil this amazing purpose he has set us apart for. We are his true people. We will never be on the wrong side of history. We are in fact the fulfilment of it, as Peter tells us here. We are set apart by God, called to him to be his precious possession in order to shout out to the world the praises of his name, everything he has done in Jesus. It is an immense privilege that we have been set aside for. And just in case we were starting to get a little bit puffed up by that, starting to think we're a bit all right, the passage continues. Look at verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. With this immense privilege comes a great responsibility. We are to declare God's praise, we're to to speak of what he has done in Jesus and we're also to live it out, to act it out day by day. Uh, We're to live holy lives like we looked at last week, set apart in this world, on one hand saying no to sin and on the other hand doing good, such good in fact that it attracts other people that people notice our good, that they ask why we do it, that they ask what drives us, that they hear the good news, that they put their trust in Jesus and as Peter says, glorify God on the day he returns or on the day he visits us. See, what he's saying is the way we live matters. We're not just to live as we please. No, we are to live as we have been called in order to make God known to the world. Uh, I never used to want to do CrossFit. Um, CrossFit is an exercise program class thing around the world. Uh, I never used to want to do it because CrossFitters have a really bad reputation. Um, CrossFitters are supposed to have, you know, enormous egos. They kind of walk sideways just to get their heads through the door. Uh, They're supposed to be cocky. Um, CrossFitters will always tell you about CrossFit and never shut up about it. And they're even said to have really bad technique uh, and always be injuring themselves And so I'd formed this image based on CrossFitters of what CrossFit was all about and I never wanted to do it as a result. I was was absolutely turned off by it Um, until I went along and found out that they're just normal people and now I'm a CrossFitter and I'm telling you about it so I'm kind of fulfilling that picture a little bit. But (laughs) (laughs) irony aside, it's true, isn't it? The behaviour of a group of people 
influences completely how we feel not only about them as people but how we feel about the group that they represent. That is true in the world and it is true here as well. We as the church, we as the people God has called to himself, we represent Jesus. We represent his kingdom, not only in how we speak, but in how we act as well. What we do matters. Now this is not a come down heavy and guilt trip you into feeling really bad. Because Peter is saying this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity we have. We can represent Jesus. We can call people to him. We can give him the glory simply in how we act in our day-to-day lives. I mean, we all live. We can live well. We can use our lives for him. We are saved by him. We are loved by him. And our actions, the way we act in this world, can point others to receive those immense blessings. So are you willing to stick out for Jesus? Now I'm not talking about uh, asking your, your workmates or your schoolmates to stop swearing because you're a Christian. That's not what's in sight here. Uh, Instead, we're talking about your behaviour. We're talking about what you do in the world, at work, at school. We're talking about the things you don't do, living that they would point to Jesus. The way you treat sex, the way you speak, the way you use your money or your possessions or your time or your work, it should stick out in what you don't do in those things. It should make it obvious that you are living for something, for someone else. Because Jesus is different and the way of life he calls us to is noticeable and ought to be noticeable. But it's not just in what we don't do, it's in what we do do as well. The good that we should do ought to be noticeable. Loving like Jesus loved us. Showing generosity like God has been generous to us. Sacrificing as we've been sacrificed for. We could continue, couldn't we? Is the good that we've been called to evident in our lives? Are our lives different? Now maybe they are. Maybe they are and people are not responding because they're stumbling over Jesus. We're told that's going to happen. But whether they respond or not, our identity and our calling is the same. We are God's true, precious people. We are called to declare his praises, to speak of what he's done, that's what we're going to be looking at at Equipped in a couple of weeks' time, and to live out what he's done. Will they know us by our deeds? Would they miss us if we were gone? And will God be glorified by them on the day he visits? See, at the end of the day, it matters little to us how the world responds to us because God is establishing us. God has called us. Uh, we might be scorned, we might be hated for Jesus' name, we might be met for confusion, with confusion, But but God has made us. He has chosen us. He's building us. He's sending us. We're his. And nothing will change that for all eternity. So live it out. Let nothing be a stumbling block to those around you except Jesus. Jesus whom we're built on. Jesus who we're holding out. Jesus who we're living for. Our chosen and precious cornerstone. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, it is just staggering to be reminded what you have done and are doing in and for us. Father, you are building us on Jesus. You are calling us to live as your chosen people in this world. Father, it's such privilege and security and purpose that you have lavished on us in Jesus. Father, help us to live this out. Help it to be seen in our lives and noticeable. Father, help us not to be dismayed uh, when the world responds with confusion, when it stumbles. Instead, help us to persistently speak of Jesus, to endure in living out his way and pointing to his powerful work in us. Father, we know that as he was rejected, so we will be also. But we pray that in your mercy, many may respond to his power working within us and also be built into him so that in all things you will be praised and you will receive the glory when you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing uh, of the one whom we're built upon. We're going to uh, declare who he is uh, and the purpose he has set aside for us with our next song, uh, Cornerstone. We're going to stand as we sing this together and we'll stay standing afterwards.
when he shall come with trumpet sound. Oh, may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne, faultless to stand before the throne. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Don't forget who you are in Jesus, the great privilege you have in being part of God's people and the great purpose that he is sending you for this week.